0: We are certainly in no shortage of options when it comes to shopping. And honestly, that's kind of become part of the experience. Wading through a sea of choices, the excitement of finding that one thing that checks all your boxes, the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Because at the end of the day, even the perfect purchase can be made even better with great deals. And that's where Rakuten comes in. Rakuten helps you get the brands you love with the most savings and cash back. You can start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Levi's, Kiehl's, and Petco, and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The concept is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. It's truly a win-win because you can shop all these amazing brands in one place and save money while you do it. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or, go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side? Even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android. Or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, Detective.
1: Welcome to Care Talkers. We're your hosts, I'm Anita Flores. And
2: I'm Sandrina Tien. And today we're going to be talking about mental health in the black
1: community. So I wanna ask the right questions here as a person who is here to learn. So I'm curious, like where do we start?
2: Where do we start? I always say this in talking with other mental health professionals, I think just talking about it, just communicating and having the conversation with one another. And I feel like this past year, we have had this conversation over and over again on social media, offline, because I know like in workspaces, we've talked about it a lot. Just how, just going through the pandemic as a healthcare uh, social worker, someone being in that space, having to deal with the pandemic on many different levels with between uh, my personal life and professional life, and also George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and many others that we've lost, I started having these conversations with other professionals in the field. And we're just realizing how much there's a need to talk about this stuff openly and It's even interesting because I remember I was a kid when Amadou Diallo, he was uh, brutally attacked. Um, I also remember when Sean Bell was murdered. And again, these are all things that I feel like we've all experienced in the Black community, but never really talking about it. Almost like it's taboo to talk about our feelings. And I feel like it's, in all, it's in a lot of our cultures, unfortunately. And even like, I, I have friends of mine, close friends of mine that have opened up to me in ways that I was very surprised because I, and I think it's just because like certain things, you know, using social media to our advantage where you're bringing awareness to certain things that's happening, right? Like mental health month was back in May. And, you know, they have like, we have all these conversations that come up. And for me, like I'll, mention something or provide a resource or something. And then someone will send me a DM and will say, hey, do you know how I can find a Black therapist or, you know, a therapist, someone to talk to about all this stuff and my struggles. And it's just really um, come about that in our culture growing up, many of our cultures growing up, we have been told things like, you got to pray about it. Oh, you, you're you fine. You'll be fine. Just push through, just push through, especially being a black woman and all the things that, you know, having t- that, you know, I've had to experience in my life, just overall, you know, you have to be this strong person, you know, like whatever poo like poo pooing, like, you know, whatever struggles you may, you may have had, it's just taboo to like talk about it. But now in light of all of this, we are talking about it. And I'm grateful for social media. I'm grateful for Gen Z. Um, I had this amazing opportunity to talk to a group of uh, middle schoolers about mental health, you know, uh, many oh, of them. Wow. Yeah, it was it was so cool. Um, it was a virtual, like, career day. And they just had so many questions. I mean, the youth of our time right now... <laughs> They're like next level because the questions that they were coming up with, and this was a group of, I mean, there was uh, Black kids, there was also uh, Latin- Latinos, Latinas, sorry, Latinx, I like to say Latinx. And, you know, they were just so engaged in the conversation and talking. And one of the questions that uh, someone had even asked, she said, how do I talk to my grandparents about mental health? Because wow. I see their struggles. Mm-hmm. And this is a 13 year old. Like, that's amazing.
1: That is amazing. To me, the the thoughtfulness that goes into asking about your grandparents. Wow. I mean, I'm glad to hear that. I, I Honestly, I don't really have much contact with people that are younger than me at this point, with the exception <laughs> of my friends who, you know, have had some babies. So, you know, Max, I'm around like a two-year-old. I was going to say,
2: and they're quite younger, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. But I'm
1: curious. I, you know, I think I remember seeing you, you post about that you were going to be doing a talk. Can I ask you what other qu- kinds of questions they asked? Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Of course.
2: Yeah. It was, well, they had a lot of questions about like schooling because um, many, it was, more than 20-something kids that were interested in getting into the field of mental health,
1: oh, which wow. is amazing
2: because, to be honest, there's not a lot of people of color in the mental health space, you know, and that's part of the problem. I can tell you, like, just in in, in some of my, you know, circles and, and paths, it, there's not a lot of, of of us, unfortunately, in that field. And I think it would really make a huge difference. And the fact that they were so engaged and interested, like there was even one kid, um, he was asking about uh, getting a psychology degree, but not just like getting his bachelor's, he wanted to be a psychologist. Wow. Yeah, like, oh my God, look at this 13 year old, like wanting to have like this career as a psychologist. I, I thought that was amazing.
1: I'm curious, you know, you are a social worker. I don't know if I've ever asked you, which is insane, but what made you want to get into this field that you're in? (laughs) That's
2: that's one of the questions that I was asked, actually. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So as you know, Anita, I work mostly with older people. I work with adults. I'll just say I work with adults. Um, but in my youth, I, I I grew up in a single household. So my mom, you know, she was hesitant to always leave me home by myself. Um, so I basically grew up in the facility that she worked at, which was a nursing home. And I was always around older people. And I had this, like, love for older people. I, I can't explain it. And when I originally got into school, uh, uh, college... I was thinking, oh, I want to be a psychologist. And then I personally don't like school very much. Oh, <laughs> I just kind of wanted to get
0: done.
2: <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to get done. And I was like, I don't think I can do the psychology thing because this is too much schooling. Yeah. And I, yeah, that's the honest truth. And then I was talking to the social worker. Her name was Helen at the time at the facility that my mom was working at. And she's like, well, why don't you become a social worker? And I was like, Oh yeah, I guess so. Oh, okay, that, that's kind of let me let me let me look into that. And then, I started. Um, mind you, my my school where I did my undergrad there was not a focus on social work at all. It was just more of social sciences. So I got to do my bachelor's and all that in psychology. And then I ended up going into social work school. And the school that I chose uh, happened to have a specialization in health. And I wanted to do health because I only new healthcare. And that's really what interested me. And yeah, that's kind of how it started. And it kind of grew from there. And I always thought, oh, I'm only going to work with elderly, but no, my my job has quite evolved.
1: (laughs) So it's been pretty cool. I've I've only known a few social workers, but it sounds like often a social worker definitely takes on more than what those duties are. Absolutely. Especially if you're talking to people and working with older people in general, it sounds like sometimes they're, they just want to talk to you. You know what I mean? Not necessarily like, as in it sounds like you're doing a bit of therapy yourself, Sandrine.
2: Oh yeah. As a social worker. Yeah. Oh yeah. 100%. And I will say even because of this last year and all that has happened, even my older clients that I work with and older, as far as older, I mean their age, they have expressed an interest into going into therapy. And do you know how like uh, phenomenal that is (laughs) to have like a 70-something-year-old or 80-something-year-old inquiring about therapy? That's amazing. I'm telling you, and talking about things that, and again, and I I think it's because of, you know, all that has happened this past year between the pandemic, you know, the, the murders that happened with our black and brown uh, commu- um, members in our, in our communities. And I think it just kind of created this. Wow, I had all these trauma, all this trauma that I've experienced throughout my lifetime. And I never addressed it. And seeing those things on the television and hearing about it and being isolated from their families because of COVID really opened up that feeling or that desire to say, you know what, I think I need to talk about this.
1: You know, social media obviously can have its bad points, uh, but I do think in terms of uh, outreach and and. Um, making contact with people you may not have in the past before. Um, What do you think social media has done in terms of a space uh, to talk about mental health or particularly for black people?
2: I feel that it's made people think about it more and feel more open about, maybe not necessarily talking about it amongst their friends, but just finding that person, whether it be myself or other professionals in the space who they can maybe lean on to possibly provide a resource of to just providing information because i know for myself in just uh, posting certain things it will trigger someone a friend or someone that you know that i may know through a friend or something to actually ask questions about, hey, I'm looking for a therapist for my daughter or I'm looking for a therapist for myself. Um, Can you maybe point me in the right direction? But it's just created this way to ask questions that maybe you normally wouldn't have, if -hmm. that makes sense.
1: And I think you're pretty active on Instagram. I feel like you do... Mm -hmm. You know different kinds of talks and stuff. You know, are there any accounts that you do like regarding mental health in the in the black community?
2: Yes, uh, my favorite, and she actually has a podcast. Her name is Dr. Joy. Dr. Joy, uh, therapy for Black girls, and that's obviously targeted towards Black women. Um, yeah, I, I I do really appreciate dr joy because she talks about so many different things and she has a podcast too so
1: ooh, should we try Might and get to her on that. our
2: podcast that would be dope oh my god that'd be amazing wow it's like goals
1: <laughs> yeah. well you hear that D- dr joy if you're listening we'd love to have you on
2: if you're looking for more resources definitely check out our interview with psychiatrist byron young
1: coming up next We are here with a special guest sandrine who do we have today
2: we have byron young who's the founder and creator of doing it well he's a psychiatrist currently based in la working with children young adults and adolescents byron can you tell us a bit about doing it well
3: hey how are you guys thanks for having me just to start just want to say thank you yeah uh so doing it well is um uh, kind of a, a, I'll say a little bit of a movement that I started when I was training in New York uh, in child adolescent and adult psychiatry. Um, I got this really cool award called the AP SAMHSA Minority Fellowship. So it supports uh, a, f- a resident or fellow in psychiatry or, or um, one of the psychiatry um, fellowships uh, of which there are many. There's like child and ad- there's child adolescent, there's um, forensics, there's addiction, there's geriatric. Uh, I was a child psychiatry fellow um, at Columbia Cornell, uh, the New York Presbyterian program, and uh, got this really amazing award that gives you funding um, to support uh, mental health initiatives and in under-resourced communities of color. And you don't necessarily have to be an Af- uh, a person of color, but you do have to, your initiative has to be aimed towards communities of color. Anyway, so I love uh, creativity. I love art. Uh, and so really was looking for ways to um, be impactful at the intersection of mental health, social justice, and art. Uh, being a brother from an under-resourced community myself, my social justice lens was always there. Um, and yeah, so they gave me a chunk of money and a chunk of like awesome mentors and uh, a really cool cohort of folks to connect with. And I got really creative and started creating all kinds of initiatives, um, particularly focused on young people at first, um, and and lots of initiatives to really spark kind of critical thinking about who one is in space. Um, So uh, one of the first things I created was this thing called the Cypher Sessions, which I still do to this day. And so that basically uses um, hip-hop music as a springboard to like deconstruct hip-hop music as a springboard for critical conversations around mental health, social justice, um, you know, who I, who I am in the world uh, from uh, all kinds of contexts, the sociopolitical, the historical, um, the financial context and those types of things. And so, uh, yeah, it, it, anyway, started as a, a bunch of initiatives and then made a website uh, and put a bunch of the the uh, things that I created, um, uh, a yoga video with people of color, a parenting parent training video with people of color, like try to create a whole bunch of content free and easily accessible, uh, a, a hip hop relaxation album we made, um, all kinds of cool stuff. And it made it like a hub for people to come get their kind of emotional wellness on. Um links for other great resources like um, therapy for black girls and uh, psychology today is a great space to go find um, your own mental health resources. And yeah, so anyway, so ultimately I have made uh, um, a sole proprietorship doing it well and uh, started doing um, kind of a uh, emotional wellness program development, emotional wellness program development and, cons- and consulting. And so, yeah, now I'm like a developer and a consultant uh, and also do a lot of, um, Kind of, uh, how do you say a lot of, uh, helping people navigate these conversations and businesses? So I've been working with like big organizations like does stuff with Google and Meetup and Hilti and Faxet and, uh, the Sony Pictures Animation Studio. So uh, just a whole bunch of cool stuff I've gotten to do and like doing it was well. kind of the place I do that under. And that's all kind of on the side. My primary job, as you, as you said, is a, an outpatient child psychiatrist with the Los Angeles County Department of Mental Health. And, uh, yeah, really enjoy that work too. Um, so, yeah, just really blessed. Uh, I, I think it's cool to impact in children and families individually, um, but also pretty cool to make an impact on a kind of communal stage. And, you know, anywhere they'll let me infuse some emotional wellness in a funky kind of humanizing, respectful way. I'll do it if they let me do it with movie theaters, if they let me do it with like a, a flight experience, <laughs> I, I'm with it. Um, and so always with that like lens of kind of the intersectional piece of mental health, social justice and art. Mental health, racial justice, and are always something I'm thinking about. So, yeah,
1: incredible. I personally, I uh, I have a friend who is an art therapist, and I ca- I can't help but draw some parallels uh, in terms. And she works with young people as well. Um, and so, it's interesting to me when you talk about you know incorporating hip hop. Do you feel like it is important? To have a different approach with young younger people versus adults
3: yeah for me i think it's cool to have like a. I think so particularly when we talk about under-resourced communities of color there is this thing where like a lot of the programming a lot of the ways in which we do medicine in general but psychiatric medicine as well it's very much made in this like ivory tower situation and it's like we develop it and then try to force it on a, on a people and like the only people who are really looked at is like human or like kind of middle-class white individuals and everything from that kind of thing, you try to force it on other folks. And so for me, it's like nothing for us without us. So if I'm creating a program for a community, regardless of age, regardless of background, I want to make sure that that community is involved in, in the creation of that thing. And so for me, it's like, I could take these elements that I learned from medicine, these elements that I learned from, you know, uh, my mental health work learning about therapies and that kind of thing. But when I like try to connect with the community, I want to make sure that I like really um, not just taking the kind of info from the wide stages of medicine but taking the info from the wide stages of the community and kind of try to make a hybrid and so like kind of connecting in that way so for me it's like music is like a conduit for people because music something that people love and so it becomes a thing where like if I'm dealing with a group of folks in like Brooklyn I might use an artist like Joey Badass to connect because that guy's from Brooklyn and people connect with Joey Badass if I'm up in Washington Heights uh, the person that they like and this is all from actual experience that's why I'm using and these particular artists. Um, and the young people in Washer Heights, in Uptown in general, loved um A Boogie with the Hoodie. They love A Boogie with the Hoodie. So I, we started using that in our, in in, our, in some of the work that we did. Um when I was at Oakland, folks have more of a California vibe. So I might use like Keek to Sneak or E40 or or um uh Playboy Cardi had a really popular song, and it's, even though he's not from the Bay, it was just really popular at the time. So like I'm gonna connect with the community in ways in which they feel humanized and seen and respected and give reverence. And a big part of the work I do is about like just creating a space for people to think critically and have conversations. So it's not even just about me teaching, which, you know, it's that too, but also about like, well, what do you have to say? What is your perspective? I I really did pull from... A lot of amazing. I've been very blessed to have all kinds of wonderful kind of teachers and mentors and, 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 and um, influences. But one of the influences that I pull from is uh, Paolo Freire, who wrote the book Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And in that book, he talks about in oppressive systems how you teach what, what, what they call a banking education, which is very much an American style of education. Like you tell people what to think, right? Like these are the inf- nuggets of information you need to absorb, and then that'll be on your test. But he says if you want a revolutionary system, a system of freedom, you have to teach with dialogical education. And so that's like creating space for dialogue and conversation and communication. And so pretty much everything I create, even when I do a talk with a big company or whether I I do a talk with like an under-resourced school, um, whether in New Orleans or Brooklyn or here in L.A., um, it's always about how do I create, how do I get people to sit and create dialogue and create space for people to think critically about who they are and what in the world around them and to create a validating environment to where all those ideas are, are, are safe and be able, and we're able to process and, and, you know, kind of share ideas. Because that's really how people learn and grow and how people listen. Right. You, I, if I if you give me space to be heard, then I'm going to give you space to hear you. And that's just kind of how that works.
2: So for obviously being a person of color. Well, I'm black, obviously. Um it's hard to find, like, other professionals in this space <laughs> that are Black. So what made you get into psychiatry out of curiosity?
3: That's a good question. Uh, it's a long answer, and I've already talked too much, so I'm going to try to make it short. But basically, I, I, uh, I'm i from an under-resourced community of color, uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, the West Bank a neighborhood called Walkertown in a city called Marrero, uh, and uh, I was this really nerdy kid still pretty nerdy adult if I'm being honest. But anyway, I was a really nerdy kid, but my family made up a huge portion of my neighborhood. So like I had like I got to write the street crate of my like cousins and my sister. Um and so because I was uh I got to write their street crate, I got to be my full nerdy self. But also still get to like hang out. You know, I didn't have to stay in the house. You know, I sometimes in like, in like under-resourced places it, and, 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 you know, quote unquote in the hood, if you're like a nerdy kid, either you might get picked on or you might have to stay in the house. And that's not everybody's, that's a generalization, but that's, that's the thing. <laughs> but anyway, so I, I got to come out and, it, you know, basically just riding the street there my loved ones. And, um, because I think I was so weird and so different and, you know, pretty jovial dude, a pretty kind of silly, silly guy. I think people came to me to talk about stuff that they might have not felt comfortable talking about in in kind of the other spaces. And uh, I really thought that was dope. And I really appreciated being able to like be an ear and kind of cheer people up and add to that or whatever. And uh, I always liked ideas and processing ideas. That's something I always loved. And also when I was a little kid, though, I'm from a very hood place. I got to go to private school. My mom was a single parent teacher raising two kids, but really sacrificed to send me to private school. So I got bus from my very hood neighborhood to this you know, um, kind of more affluent community to go to private school. And uh, I realized, like, I think when you're in the hood, you think, oh, man, if we had money, everything would be better. But I was with these people who had money and they still had struggles, too. They still weren't, you know, had people who were happy, people who were sad, just like we did. And so I definitely realized the power of perspective and was just really blown away by that. And yeah, I think I, I definitely have to shout out my mom. Coming from where I come from, the notion of being a doctor isn't something... Everybody thinks they could pull off, but my mom was really big on like, you could do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's, that was her motto. She always would say that you could do all things that in the back rubbing and I love you. And, uh, yeah, with that kind of confidence and, you know, pretty bright kid, um, I got, I got, went pretty far and, and went to, um, to Xavier University of Louisiana for undergrad, which is number one for placing African Americans in the medical school. Um, and yeah, it worked. Uh, it was a great school, an amazing school, a, a great place. and, yeah, I did really well there and got an early acceptance program. Actually, when I was a sophomore, I think into Tulane School of Medicine, and yeah, the rest was history. And ended up going to psych. Like, actually, by that time, I was actually a little scared of psych. I was thinking about being a pediatrician, but I was kind of scared because I was like, okay, it's fun and all, but like it's it could be heavy, like taking on people's weight. And I was like, I don't know if, if I, you know, I, I want to protect my own peace of mind. But uh, a really good friend of mine, my friend Tamika Noel, gave, sent me a um a link to the APA's. Gene Spurlock program and did that program. It was a really dope summer program. And, uh, it was in, you know, a child psychiatry kind of like deep dive, got to shadow all these psychiatrists, or amazing the psychiatrist named Dr. Charles Zena, uh, over at Tulane, a wonderful program. And that really, that was it. That was, so that was after the first year of medical school. I was sealed. And, uh, yeah. And, and also just learning later as a person who considered himself as much a community advocate, as much as a social justice champion as, a, as I am a physician, it all just really works well to like navigate like mental health and. Social justice, like it just really does link up. And having an MD is cool because people let you, you know, come on their podcast uh, <laughs> and talk about stuff. Uh, so, yeah, it's cool.
2: So, Byron. How do you feel mental health is viewed within the black community presently?
3: Yeah, I think I think I think mental health in the black community is improving. You know, I think there's less stigma. I think the millennial generation has brought us, you know, all the stuff that Gen Z is like super progressive. We we started that. We did that. The millennials, we did that. Um, And so I think that I think millennials have also pulled their parents and their like elder people into a a space where they're like having these conversations and that kind of thing. And clearly, like kind of paved the way for Gen Z to be so progressive in those ways. and so I think, yeah, I think I think we're doing better though. And and we still have a lot of a long way to go. A mighty high to climb in that way. Um, there is a lot of stigma, and rightfully so, right? You guys know about all the Medical Apartheid type stuff, the Tuskegee experiments and all these other heinous things that people that don't even see the light of day, um, all these reasons why medicine hasn't been so kind, both historically since slavery and all the weird experimentation and stuff that happened, you know, not long ago, to even currently, like all these weird kinds of um uh um like um research uh, experiments and experiences that are not very positive or very like caring for black folks to even just the general sense that going to the doctor, going to a mental health space or just any medicine space, your treatment, you will have disparate treatment, treatment that isn't quite as humanizing, treatment that isn't quite as loving, treatment that You know, there's a study from, I think from 2016 and it pulled like a a couple hundred residents and fellows and medical students and asked them about these like old stereotypes around like black people experiencing pain and like their skin being thicker and like they have a higher pain times, all these weird things. And like a huge percentage of those people thought at least one of those stereotypes was true. And so like, these are our like, you know, people going to medicine, you're supposed to be like the the best and the brightest and the most progressive. And like, what if that, if if that, that huge swath of our like medical future has these types of biases like uh, objectively, like explicitly imagine what goes on in the unconscious space and you know, all this data about like, you know, black people getting um, black people with the mental health conditions getting diagnosed with more severe conditions. Like, so basically, let me try to explain this. There is a psych, psychosis is a thing, right? So you're hallucinating, you're delusional, those types of things. But it can be connected to a primary psychotic disorder like schizophrenia, or it can be connected to a mental um, a mood disorder like depression or, or or bipolar disorder. So when you're schizophrenic, you're you're often psychotic. But when you're um, unless you're getting medication and getting it treated, when you have a mood disorder, you're only psychotic when your mood disorder is flaring up. So when you're really depressed or when you're really manic, and so lots of black people who have a mood disorder based psychosis end up getting. Diagnosed with schizophrenia, which is a whole different type of treatment. It's missing out on lots of things. And it's also like a different trajectory. And, and so that's a problem, right? And that is actually very common at Composite. And that's the notion of like black people not being, this is back to that humanization thing, not sitting down and taking time to really tease apart what's going on with this, this human being across from you. Um, and so anyway, yeah. So I just think the, the it's not just about the history, like everybody talks to talk about its current day we still have these struggles these these situations and let me say another thing a, a friend of mine who did uh, um she did uh some research around this the notion that stigma actually isn't the number one thing that drives black folks away from getting uh this type of attention. The concerns around resources and insurance is actually even more than stigma, and so that's something that we're not talking about folks. You know, ha- are struggling financially, which many, much of which the reasons are also rooted in racism. If we really want to get down to it, but also there's concerns around like. Underinsured, being underinsured or just not being sure what your insurance covered and not wanting to risk it. You know what I'm saying? Or like not wanting to risk that this time they told me this was covered, but then they, I get a bill and it's like, you know, all these types of things that happen. So yeah, I think, I think it's a deal. And, and, it, you know, hopefully with folks like, like us, we continue to kind of spread the word about how to do it. But I think helping people come to it in ways that are humanizing and, uh, respectful, um, and helping them maybe even navigate those systems. In humanizing, respectful ways. Like if the system isn't going to treat you a particular way, how can you like navigate the system to make it treat you better? You know, if that's possible. So those are things I think about. But yeah.
2: And I feel like for me as a social worker, that is one of the major things that I do is helping people navigate these issues, these concerns. Because it's always brought up, like, well, my insurance won't cover it, or I'm getting the runaround. And you're right; a lot of people don't talk about that, and we do lose that human aspect of like that person sitting across from you, like they're going through something and we're not finding out why. And I actually, I did a, I did a whole um, workshop on this exact concept um, a few days ago to a bunch of other social workers. And just that, cause you know, my background is healthcare and I get very frustrated with many of the other disciplines that I work with that are not necessarily people of color <laughs> And they don't see that, you know. This it's you know there's all these other layers and these other things, and you know these. It's just other things need to be brought to the forefront that we're not really talking about. Instead of just seeing it in in one way. I don't I don't know. That that's that's just how I feel. But and and it's it's a reality. Yeah, it's
3: reality. I think in some ways that stigma thing, while it is a big issue, becomes like this red herring that people can kind of like digest well. Like, oh, stigma, like black people, black people. So that that way systems... Who, like, the systems in power don't have to change anything. They have just have to be like, we need to just get out here and educate the black folk. But, like, no, there's a, a responsibility that a system has to change. And, like, when you say stigma, 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 you don't have to change anything. That's, like, them. It's their fault. Black people need to, you know, it's almost the pull yourself up by the bootstraps thing. It's, like, you know, but, like, we saw the same thing with COVID. Like, that wasn't just about stigma. Also, it was about, like, go. you know, the, the way that people get treated in these systems really does matter. And so, like, that, that matters, too. So, the system has to do something to change. So, it can't just be, like, again, stigma is a thing and we definitely need to talk about it. But also don't tell me about stigma without a critique on like what the stigma is rooted in. Like, that's totally disrespectful and totally like missing the mark on like that racism and anti-blackness and all those things are like real, real issues. Like anti-Latinx sentiment are real issues. Like those things are real. Like it's not, it's not like, I think people are like, oh, like let's help the lowly black people. But like the lowly black people, the lowly brown people are lowly because your system treats them like they're not human. And so like, that's the, let's talk about that. Like, let's take it a step further than just like, Let's help with stigma, you know, because if you don't talk about the root of it, it's not really gonna 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 impact much. Like, you got to come to me and let me know that you're real. Like, if you can't offer critique on that thing, then we can't. I don't even think you know what the real issue is. Uh, Can I say another thing? All this stuff about equity. we talk all this stuff, equity, equity, equity. Tell me one equitable thing that's been done. When you talk about DEI, and this is across, this isn't just in medicine, this is just across space, right, and work and all this stuff. But when you talk about equity, equity means that you're trying to help uh, people who are marginalized come up. But there are people who won't even admit that there's a marginalization issue. Like, I I had a, a young lady tell me that she feels like middle-class white people have it the hardest that like all the poor people of color have all these like programs or whatever that help them out. And like middle-class black folks have all this, like, you know, kind of the, the new movement of black lives matter is making everything. And like, I'm like, so there's just a large swath of people who can't even admit that there is a marginalization that exists. There's a large swath of people who can't even admit that black, the disparities that exist in black and brown communities are rooted in racism. And so if you can't do that, how are we going to have equity? How are we going to do anything equitable? If you can't even admit that there's the need for it, If you can't even admit that those disparities exist, and they're not—they're not the fault of the of the marginalized people that you know they try to victimize. Anyway, I'm done. Sorry, that's too much.
1: (laughs) I do not think that was too much. I obviously, I think everything you said uh, is true. And I just—just to add to that, it is so difficult. And I can only speak for me. It—it is so difficult to even find somebody, not just uh, uh, in terms of insurance, but you know, and maybe this will lead us into our next question, but you know, I have, there's people in my life I know who identify as black and wanted to find a black therapist. And it's like, that's, that's its own struggle of like, not only the, the, the many layers you have to go through to find not just like a primary care doctor. It's like, you need to find somebody that you're going to be comfortable opening up about the things that you're most guarded about. And to even get there, you're. I think basically, uh, people are just on their own. Once you get to the part where you're like, "Yeah, I'd love, I'd love to have a therapist," and then it, it's like, "Oh, now I'm gonna have to figure it out." And I would say the system is definitely not set up to help people find like an actual therapist, definitely.
3: Yeah, I think I think mental health is so foundational to how one thrives in the world. And so until we can like as a whole community, not just as black folks, just uh, as an American society, admit that that's a thing that we need to take seriously. I don't even know how much will change. I feel like so much of the ills of the world have to do with like dehumanization and exploitation at the hands of insecurities. Right. I just think. Right. And so like if we can't get to that root thing to like really learn how to like forgive ourselves and love each other better and not project as much and not be so passive aggressive. If we can't do that work, then like all the kind of ills of the world just continue all the pain that we aim at each other, all the, you know, all the guilt, the burden, the revenge, all these things like that's so much of what the ills of the world, like, you know, this notion of like, if I'm like a cap, extreme capitalist and like have no problem exploiting someone, you know, to the bone, um, you know, like that's, that's a that's a thing that's rooted in something emotionally is not not well you know and so i think mental health is a big deal and that's like it's interesting because like there this is the thing i always talk to folks about there is so much resources and like fear tactic movements around governments trying to be like everybody's in danger we need all this money for militia type police officer you know like military funded style police officers everybody's dying it's all you know fear in the streets but like there are like I think it's like one fourth the amount of murders happen as the amount of suicides. Like so basically there are like I think around four times more suicides that happen in America than murder. And like you don't hear nothing about like emotional health stuff. You don't even hear, you know, they're quick to call some like murder thing. And again, murder is bad. And I'm not saying murder is okay. I'm just saying like keep that same energy when it comes to something that's killing four times as many people. Like keep that same energy when it comes to like other stuff. Like in in like I think sometimes things are like overblown for like political manipulation and that kind of thing. And whereas other things are completely ignored because they're not like the sexy thing. But if we're going to do better as a, as a society, we got to make that sexy. We got to make it cool. We got to make it feel good. And and I think, I think so much of our systems are kind of rooted in the need to exploit people who are hurting that it would be hard to like change it and still make all the money, you know, like, Hey, like buy this happiness. Cause you know, <laughs> we can't, you know,
1: you did. You did say, make it sexy, make it cool. And frankly, it. I feel like that's why more recently, and I think this, I, 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 I'd say I, I see this among lots of uh, Instagram creators. There's lots of like memes now. I, I feel like where people are like, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know, a popular meme and someone's like, my depression and here's my anxiety or whatever. And it's almost like, it's almost like I feel like mental health, in terms of as a topic, has become kind of trendy, but it doesn't get to the root of what you were just saying, which is resources. Facts. So yeah. I, I would say yes, I would say a lot of a lot needs to. Change. Yeah, I
3: feel like so. Me and my friends have been talking about this. Like the millennial generation, we're all about being progressive, but like we're not quite as progressive as Gen Z. There are some ways that Gen Z is so like. Um, and this is not a this is a generalization. So love Gen Z, but there are some ways in which Gen Z, I- generalizing again can be so pro progression that it's like almost in a, like a, um, like a a kind of reductive posturing. Like, it's like, we're doing the thing that you're supposed to do as opposed to like this, like real deep dive thing. Right. So, so like mental health is cool. And like um, love, you know, kind of like messages of like love and mental health and those types of things are great, but there's something that almost like lends itself to like the commodification of it uh and that i think is problematic and again millennials are as guilty as gen z in this but i just think one of the things is like when we got so progressive that the being progressive is the thing that we're trying to do as opposed to like the things that being progressive is about right it's like we're more we're more focused on being progressive than we are about like the actual tangible impactful parts of what being progressive means does that make sense and so like in some ways like the like memes and stuff are cool, but like if if you're looking at the same meme, meme and going ooh that's a deep one and nothing's changed a year later, then the meme's not good enough. Like we, <laughs> meme and then what? Like memes are cool, and then what? What's the what's the action item? What's the like metric we're gonna check to see if we made a change or whatever? Because reading these memes and being like ooh yeah that, I felt that one <laughs> yeah. without any change mm-hmm. isn't enough.
2: So we talk about stigmas. So what do you think are some ways that we that we as folks can I don't know, reduce some of the stigmas that exist about mental health, especially in the black community. I know we talked about how, you know, millennials and Gen Z are like, you know, talking about these kinds of things. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's definitely a step in the right direction. But there's still a lot of issues and struggles that, you know, many of us go through in talking about mental health openly.
3: Yeah, I think there has to be more focus on like highlighting good outcomes and like making sure that there are good outcomes to highlight. I think that's like a big one. I think the notion of like it, if I, I really do think this is like a conversation can't just be had to communities that have stigma. It has to be, it has to be a conversation to the systems that produce the issues that make the stigma. So like making sure that systems are doing a better job at serving people well so that they feel good and can be proud about the service they got. And maybe they can share it with a friend. But I feel like so many times you hear all these kind of horror stories about people's experiences and they're like, oh, it just reinforces the stigma that's already there. And so I really do think there has to be like a systemic change, like the system that you want people to go into that you're telling them well, it's different. Like you got to make it different. You got to make sure it's really different and really better. And those systems have, a, have to do a good job at like really showing that they're different, that they're humanizing and that they care and that they really are about you. Um, and I think part of that, it comes from those systems, like including the people that they're trying to serve as experts on themselves, like including the people that they're trying to serve in the kind of development of, of the initiatives and of the healthcare that they receive. And so I think that's really important. Um, I think also, uh, again, I, I think I said this earlier this notion of like helping people learn how to navigate those systems when they are kind, like lots of education. For me, one of the things that, as a psychiatrist, um, I really want my patients to like feel like this was a team effort. I want them to feel like I gave them all the kinds of thorough education on like alternatives and risk and benefits and side effects and like they really know in and out like what this is all about and like that they made like a decision with me as opposed to me making a decision for them and so i want people in all walks of life from all you know experiencing all the systems of, of healthcare care delivery mental health or beyond to come out of their experiences feeling really informed and feeling like oh i have this diagnosis and i understand this diagnosis I have these medications I need to take or this therapy I need to take. And I understand what it's doing and why it's doing it and how I need to take it and how I take it appropriately. Cause you know, I'm, I know, you know, this is definitely a black thing. Folks will tell them like their family will take the medication when they're not feeling good, but like the medications doesn't work like that. Like you can't just take it one, you know? And so it's just like that, that that tells me that the doctor did not do a good job of letting you know how this medication works. Or you ask people what their diagnosis is that they got the medication for and they can't tell you like, that's unacceptable. Like what? You're putting something in your body. That's, Really important, like you really need to know what it's for and what it's supposed to do and when it's working right and when it's not working right and what that feels like. and so I just think lots and lots of like helping people navigate like st- like you know um, standing up for the right to be treated like again, like a full human being, the right to like know what's going on and like not just have therapies or medication thrown at them, but like really understand. Um, and so I think that's a part of it. And yeah, I think back down to resources, I think, you know, even if you remove the stigma if folks don't have the resources to go get it, I think we gotta do something about that too. Or, you know, making 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 the or you know, making the um uh, the resources really uh affordable or like really um, easy to to kind of connect with. Because I think, again, like you, I know you said this, Sandrine, as a social worker, to me, you guys are magic because you have all the kind of like insider information on how to like make something work. But like most people don't feel like they have that inside information. and They get scared of like, you know, like you're giving me this, this form to go find this clinic. But like, It's hard. Like they didn't answer the phone and, you know, now um, they didn't call me back. And so I'm just like, well, whatever. You know how many, I mean, you don't know how many patients I have that'll, that'll be like, well, why didn't you follow up with this? And they'd be like, well, I called them. They never called me back. And they just, that's it. We're done. And, you know, life is coming at you fast. I got other stuff to do, you know? Um, So yeah, it's, it's so many, it's so nuanced and, and so multifactorial.
2: And we don't really talk about any of those issues, you know, really don't.
3: Yeah. Yeah, there's not, there's so much noise out there and, 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 and not enough space to like, again, I think this thing about, we talk about the equity thing earlier. It's like, we need, if we're going to like have initiatives to impact communities, where are the metrics to check them? Where's the time, the timetables we're giving ourselves? It's funny. Cause like when you're talking about business, anything that moves with money, there's all these metrics and all these like things we're checking and all these like, you got three quarters to get it done, you know, but when it comes to like health and, and, and wellness, it's kind of like, Oh, we addressed it in a meeting, you know, or we did a a workshop once and we're done, you know, it's like, what? like, no, that's not gonna, that's not gonna fly. Um, and all this stuff, you know, people talking about defunding the police and, you know, I'm all about transitioning some of those funds to other stuff. Cause I think that's, that, that would be much more helpful way to use the money is like, let me help the underlying thing that has folks involved in like the criminal justice situation. Like, Like, because, you know, I think it it takes uh, the ability to admit that people aren't just out here committing crimes because they're like some like super predators. That's not real. It's rooted in the traumas and the hurt and the pain that comes with like the isms and the dehumanization and the racism and the, you know, marginalization. Like, that's what it's rooted in. So why not spend extra funds to help get at the root of that thing? Like that will make it better. That will help people rehabilitate. You know what I'm saying?
1: And you mentioned this issue with you know here's a resource and then a patient tries this resource and then that resource fails them so what's so crazy to me is how you know you're so on your own unfortunately when you're looking in my experience and other people i know's experience when you're looking for like a therapist you're on your own but it's even harder to do those things when you're you're struggling with your mental health and so that leads me uh, to this next question which is for anyone who may be struggling with their own mental health issues do you have any tips you can suggest um, to help them effectively communicate their experience with, with their loved ones?
3: Yeah, sure. I, I think, well, there's this really cool stuff. out. I'm sure Sandrine knows about this. The kind of ment- uh, first aid, mental health first aid, um, which is a cool Oh, yeah. So there, are like these mental health first aid kind of initiatives. New York has a really great one where you can sign up to take these like eight hour course that kind of teaches you how to like navigate discussing mental health issues with your family and friends. And like it, it helps you be more more validating. So it helps you learn how to like, instead of if someone says, Hey, I'm struggling, you're not like, no, you're not struggling. You're all good to be like, Oh, I see you're struggling. Tell me more. Like, let me validate that you have feelings and needs and those types of things, as opposed to being like trying to just push you to do better. Like, let me validate that. And then kind of work with you to change there. It's like, this is a concept uh, this validation and change thing comes from like actually a therapeutic approach called DBT or dialectical behavioral therapy. But this notion of like, when you can validate someone's kind of perspective, their you know, they can feel seen or heard and validation doesn't mean agree. It just means like you let them know you hear them. Like I validate that you feel this way and you hear, you know, you you have a particular um, uh, set of feelings based on your experiences. I validate that. And let me connect with you. Like, so I hear you're saying this, right? Is that what you're saying? I'm connecting. And have you considered this type of thing? So before you start pushing for change or start pushing for, you know, what the solutions are really making the person feel heard and connected with. And so I think for folks who have loved ones who are going through it, that's the kind of way to help them feel seen. And I guess if you are the person going through it, maybe kind of trying to vie for like making sure that they feel like they're validate, like, telling them that they need to like learn how to validate where you're where you're coming from and maybe that means showing them that you validate where they're coming from so they can kind of model it for them um but I think those are things I think you know there's lots of educational material out there and making sure that you find some stuff for for those folks too I think also it's like I think if you're going through it one of the primary things is really self-care like focusing on self and really taking that seriously I know so many parents and so many people who have responsibilities that are so indebted to taking care of everyone else, everything else but themselves that I think that's a big one and I think we would be better parents we would be better lovers we'd be better teachers and professors if we took better care of ourselves and I think that's a struggle I know particularly for the black woman in my family they spend so much energy and effort taking care of us and you know the rest of us um it's very unfair but it is almost like a thing that's kind of and this again is a generalization but ingrained in a lot of for black women to be the strong kind of pillar and take care of everybody and take care of everything um you know even you know you saw people tease it with the with the election you know black women saved us and time and time again black women are asked to save and uplift and you know take care of everybody and i think sometimes that gets that gets tiring and that can be deleterious to the to the health and wellness of that black woman so yeah there's notion of being like you got to you know, what's the analogy the airplane analogy you got to put your mask on before you before you put on the babies. And again, I do these talks all the time and everybody's like, oh yeah, preach, right, right, right. But like next week, are you going to be doing it? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like next week, are you actually going to do it? Like that's the, what's the, and I think that's why therapy is helpful because sometimes it helps you see patterns, right? I think it helps you kind of see like, oh, I told myself I would do this differently, but here I am again. You know, I know this place very well. Why am I here over and over and over again? And I think sometimes it can help you see those patterns to maybe do something different.
2: I grew up in a single family household with, you know, my mom raised me as a single parent. And now that she's older, I realize. We have more open conversations about some of her struggles as a child, um, leaving Haiti, coming to you know a foreign country, not really having a lot of support, and um, this all before she had me, and just even some of the struggles that she had, like while she was raising me, and I was just like, "Wow, you you did all that like by yourself?" And she's like, "Yeah, I had to just do it and push through and push through," and I feel like. That's so much of what our problem is in our communities is that oh you gotta push through you have to push through you gotta just do it. There's no concept of self care. There's no concept of how stress and mental health play a key role, even in health. You know issues like you know exacerbating your health. um, You know illnesses and things like that. All that plays a role, and I feel like that's we just lose so much sight on that. And it's very frustrating and yeah. exhausting.
3: I think, well, first of all, let me say sac passe to you and your mom. Uh, shout out yes, to the Yes, uh, <laughs> Some of the best food out there. Uh, I appreciate you all. Um, uh, good people, awesome people. Um, but uh, I, 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 I like didn't know anything about Caribbean culture until I got to New York. And then I learned so much. Like <laughs> Trinidadian culture, Haitian culture, Jamaica. So just big fan. Uh, Dominican culture, all those cultures. <laughs> anyway, but uh, I wanted to say, um, I think... That becomes like a maladaptive, like a coping skill that is quite adaptive to survive becomes maladaptive to thrive in that situation. And so that's so unfair, right? Because it's like, well, your mom had to do what she had to do to make it where she made it. And like the same kind of walls and barriers and defenses she had to put up to get to just to get there don't necessarily necessarily serve her well when it's time just to like enjoy life and be and, you know, um, kind of... um, you know, thrive in that situation. It, it, it takes work to get back to the ability to do that and kind of put down all those walls and put down all those defenses. Um, mm-hmm. and so it's, it's really unfair. I mean, that's the, the, that's the world of a marginalized person. Like you have to, it's just unfair for many reasons, but that, that's the thing. Like surviving in a situation that wasn't even designed to make you a human being will do something to you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like even if you, you know, make the money and get the power or whatever, it's still, are you happy? Are you like, self-fulfilled so are you like you know what i'm saying like it's hard it's really hard it's harder than i think people think
2: and do you have any resources that you would recommend for people that are looking for a black therapist because i feel like you know being a person of color and you know if i if i'm if i've ha- if i've had to go through all these experiences i feel like it would be more relatable you know, speaking to someone who can possibly, who, who identifies as me. So like, what would you, what would you suggest as far as resources?
3: Yeah. First of all, let me say there's a shortage of therapists. So like, if you get a good therapist, regardless of their background, <laughs> take that good therapist. Like if you have friends who are like, yo, my therapist is dope, take that therapist right from them. You know what I'm saying? If you're lovers, you probably shouldn't have the same therapist, but if you're just friends or family or whatever, if, if you're friends or whatever, you could definitely share a therapist because they shouldn't be talking about you like that. But so that's one thing, like if you have a good therapist, so like if you, it's a good therapist and you get a cosign, you should take that therapist because it's hard to get. As you guys said, it's hard. Um, I do think there's clearly merit in having a therapist who, you know, has some of the background experiences like you. And there's some data to prove that that could be impactful, particularly in all walks of medicine, for sure. Um, so I would say like some of the sites that I think are dope is um, shout out to uh, Therapy for Black Girls is a really great site to go find therapists. Um, there's a um, this is a, my site doing a well.org has links to some some spaces and like I have special links for folks who are um, African-American and for Latinx folks. So it's like uh, psychology today has like a breakdown of therapists by ethnic background. And so you could find that. Um, and so, yeah, I think those are the two main, I mean, psychology is like the space where everybody says to go find your therapist, but like they have those breakdowns that are ethnically broken down. So I think that's cool. Um, but yeah, there's not, and there's some other ones out there that I I, I can't think of the name of right now, but, uh, Oh, I think Taraji P. Henson has that program that, that, um, she started during the quarantine. So that's definitely worth a Google. Um, but yeah, even, oh, and you could also like ask your insurance carrier if you have insurance, if you have the privilege of having insurance, um, for a list of folks and kind of find out from them who's who and what, who's doing what. But, uh, those, those are ways that you could kind of find a therapist that, that fits. But I think the best way to find a therapist, even better than Psychology Day, which is a great resource, is like if you have friends who have good therapists, Asking them if you could if you could have their therapist too, or if their therapist could could recommend a therapist like that that that's been a really powerful way. My therapist isn't isn't African. My therapist is an old uh, an old Jewish brother, old Ashkenazi Jewish brother, um, and actually quite a few of my friends have seen him too. But, um, the type of therapy I do for myself that, you know, that I receive is psychodynamic psychotherapy. So it's really not supposed to be about the therapist at all. It's really about, they're supposed to be kind of like a blank slate and like it's supposed to be about me. So, you know, what he brings to the table ethnically shouldn't matter so much. And, and, and again, these things do matter in, in, in small ways, but like for me, that type of therapy is still okay because he's really good at what he does. And so like I can talk about race. I can talk about, you know, different things like that. And it's still. It's, i can still do something with it because it's like challenging me to challenge my own thoughts and reflections or whatever and i think as long as he can as that non-black therapist not put his own or her own or their own bias in it then you could do some good stuff so yeah if someone has a good therapist then you know i think you should take the good therapist but again um it definitely makes sense to to try to find someone in the community and so when people find those like Black, you know, MD, PhD, social worker, whatever, who's dope. It's like a, a, amazing, you know, like everybody wants to send their friends there. Um, and we definitely need more folks to do it.
1: And you did mention earlier a resource uh, that's in New York. Uh, uh, can you uh, tell tell us again, what what is that resource, the name of it?
3: Oh, oh, so uh, if you go, and I think this is still functioning as it was, but when I left, so there's the Thrive NYC program and Thrive NYC has a bunch of initiatives, but you can call their like hotline and you can be connected to mental health first aid, which is a, a way to like help you navigate helping folks in the community navigate mental health distress and services. So that's something that people can take this course to like be like a, a kind of an expert on, on navigating that. And then they also have, they can help connect you with therapists too. If you call that same uh, hotline, I can't think of what the number is, but if you just Google thrive NYC hotline, it'll come up. Um, and they have a whole bunch of really awesome programs. I was a, before I moved to LA, I worked in New York with the mental health service corps, which like infused infused therapists into primary care clinics there's a lot of research that said people were like more comfortable getting mental health treatment in primary care spaces than in the psychiatric spaces so we like brought the brought the kind of mental health to them um so it's just an amazing program and uh yeah uh, that that whole initiative um is like thriving nyc and they have like a hotline where you can call and get that kind of stuff and you can call them and say hey I want a therapist can this therapist be a person of color too and i think they can help you with that too that's great
1: i did not know that existed so I'm I'm so glad that you you said that. And
3: oh yeah, it's real. They did a big blitz on like buses and trains or whatever. But yeah, still you know, still takes it. Still takes uh, you know connecting with. And with
1: all these resources you mentioned, uh, do you know if there's any information about like sliding scale? I don't know if that's something you know you know that some people practice or if there's a way to find those people.
3: Yeah, both. I think if you look on psychology today, and if you look at like if you're in New York and want to thrive in YC, they can tell you what clinics and stuff have sliding scales. Like, even if, like, I think one of the ways that under resourced people, particularly get therapists, like having having the ability to like get a one, like, I called this therapist and they're going to see me is a privilege, right? Because many folks who don't have resources have to go to a clinic and kind of get whoever they get. But at many of those clinics, they have sliding scale situations. They have like they'll help you get, you know, um, help you get Medicaid or, or whatever if you, if you, if you qualify qualify for it. They'll help you kind of navigate it. Uh, with that said, sometimes some of those clinics don't have the like most supreme services because they're like usually overwhelmed and seeing a bazillion people at a time. But like, I, you know, I, if that's the best you can do, I still think it's worth it to give it a try. But um, yeah, I think a lot of those clinics do have sliding skills and even, even some of those therapists that you find individually will have sliding skills um, as well.
1: And I, this might be old school, but I love, I, I prefer to talk to people on the phone So the number one example I have that if you are privileged enough to and you have health insurance, I don't know how people go through online and find people like I if I need to find a doctor, I will call. I will look at the number on the back of my insurance card and be like, I need I need primary care doctors in this zip code or I'm looking for, you know, a mental health specialist in Manhattan. Uh, Yeah, I'm a big advocate of talking on the phone if it's possible.
3: (laughs) Yeah, and that's not a I think a lot of those psychology today links will have the phone number. You'll call that therapist yourself and they'll try to call you back and you'll like, can we set something up and get a little energy? They'll sometimes they'll ask you a few little questions before they even accept you to to come to a consultation. So yeah, that's the way to go for sure.
2: I remember find like I had a, a client who was dealing with a lot of gastrointestinal issues, and it has a psychological toll on you. And I said, you know let me, let me see if there's a specialist, a, a therapist that specializes in this area. Sure enough, I did. She called me and she was so incredible, but then she didn't take her insurance.
3: Uh, uh, yeah.
2: So that was like the whole thing. And then I mean, I ended up referring her to another um, organization that did take her insurance, but that was really like just such a blow for her because you know, we found it together, you know, and that's, again, part of that whole navigating <laughs> things. And, um, I felt so bad and, and she's like, Oh, she's, ha- she seemed like someone that would be such a great fit. And yeah. But yeah, that that's, that's one of the many challenges. I think even, you know, the, the insurance piece of it, like, you know, finding someone that takes your insurance because many therapists, you know, unfortunately don't take insurance, which I'm finding out it's because this, this, there's a lot of reasons because of that. And it's really all boils. I, I believe it all boils down to billing, right? Or, or something. Yeah, it's it's like, it's really, really a frustrating experience to get paid apparently from these insurance companies.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think also people sometimes charge more than the insurance company is willing to pay. So they don't yeah. want to deal with it. Yeah, but yeah. you're right. I think a lot of people are like, it's a big headache to like navigate getting on panels and that kind of thing. And yeah. to your point what you said earlier, I think that's a really big thing. Like. People people experience so much life stuff and so many people around them are experiencing that life stuff that they start to think that life stuff is normal. But like, to your point, like, the GI stuff might not, the GI stuff could definitely have a toll on your mental health, but it could also be rooted in in mental health. Like it could be, the reason you're having the GI stuff could be due to mental health stuff. And so this notion of like understanding like the signs and symptoms is super important too. And like, if you're angry all the time, if you're like having difficult relationships often, if you're like struggling in school with your attention, if you're, you know, like don't have the energy to get up from work, if all you do is go to work go to sleep, go to work, go to sleep. Like those are like signs that maybe something's going on and maybe it's time to get some help. But there's so many of us who like, that's normal. Yeah, I'm always snappy because people annoy me. Or yeah, I'm like always irritated because I'm around irritated people. You know, like so people, we like make these excuses that seem like, you know, they're just normal life stuff. But like there can be, again, that's the difference between surviving and thriving. Like if you really want to thrive, I think you should go like, understand that more deeply than just like this is a response to the people who annoying me you know like if you're always angry even if either you need to get some new people around you and or uh you know <laughs> and probably uh go, go go figure out what that's about um but yeah like knowing those other signs like the kids who always have gi upset at school like those kids are probably anxious like that's probably not just something the primary care doctor can deal with
1: I keep thinking of the person you mentioned earlier who said that it's the middle class people have the, have the hardest. I, cause it's, it's, I, I try and wrap, wrap my brain around that, that, that idea. And it just brings me back to this idea that, you know, Sandrine, when you're talking about your, your mom, the idea that imagine just, having this idea in your head that, oh, this is just how it is. It's normal. This is this is the way of life and there's nothing I can do about it. And then I think of when I tried to find a psychiatrist and how ha- I have yet to find a psychiatrist that takes health insurance. Uh, and I think of all the places I called in New York, how they, you know, charge hundreds of dollars uh, an hour and were booked for like two or three months. And I thought, Okay, I'm starting to understand when I, you know, in my rare times that I've met wealthier people from, like, you know, the Upper West Side or whatever, I'm like, they've got all the pills. <laughs> I, like, that's what bothers me is I feel like the people with the, I, I'm, I, I know, I'm, I'm sure I'm speaking things. Both of you work in in healthcare, but it boggles the mind when I think of the people that have access often to the things that other people so desperately need and then say things like that it's just mind-boggling
3: yeah no I I think you know like I think everybody kind of sits in their world and assumes that the world is kind of tough for them without like a real examination of the privilege that we actually ultimately have but like yeah I mean I, I will say all of my friends who work in Manhattan are those people They take charge a lot of money and have very wealthy clientele and they may work in a clinic. Also they may work in an under-resourced clinic, but that's one of those clinics where it's like, well, you get who you get and you might get them. You might not. Um, but yeah, they definitely, that proper practice life. Yeah. It definitely serves and caters to wealthy folks who get this very boutique thing. And it's a sad situation where like, Folks who go to under-resourced clinics like don't get the best care, and even if they have great therapists, they're often overworked and burned out, and that kind of thing. And like, you know, they can only see you every other week, which is not the best, right? You want at least at least be seen weekly if you can. But yeah, like folks getting seen one once a month—that's not even real therapy, you know what I'm saying? Like, what? Like, so yeah, no, it's a thing. It's definitely a thing.
2: Now, yeah. I was gonna say too another thing um, that some of my clients have told me, and I I never thought about that, but there's a certain number of visits that they're allowed with the therapy. And then you're just like, what? but wait a minute. You, you're just, you're just getting things going here. <laughs> you're just like go- getting a breakthrough. And then all of a sudden you mean to tell me my insurance is going to cover. Also oh, now I have to pay for it. It's it's yeah, it's, it's a lot. There's, there's so many like issues and problems. <laughs> Meanwhile, you try to go to the doctor. I'm sure, you, you know, you can probably get more visits from your regular doctor
3: yeah like, I mean I've never heard of a limitation with a doctor visit yeah I mean not that it doesn't exist I've never heard of it though
1: yeah right Sandrine, you remind me i have i am familiar with the you get this many uh which is such a strange idea and I recognize that I'm sure it has to do with money and insurance companies but when I hear like i like i had i, I had a counselor i think for a sophomore year of college where, yeah I was told yep you get four sessions as in you're going to figure it out. You're going to figure it all out <laughs> in four sessions, which is ridiculous. But that does bring me to, before we wrap up, Byron, I'm curious, do you have any thoughts on sort of the rise of mental health apps? Because I I definitely see those, I, you know, and, and in terms of like, I, I haven't purchased any, you know, what is it? Our Headspace, that might be meditation, but. Uh, no, that's meditation. Oh, my bad. Okay. Better health. Better health. Okay.
2: Um, there's a, what's the one with Mike Phelps again? I, he's, he
1: does stuff for oat milk too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I can't keep track. He's doing it, but you're right. He is, he is doing, uh, I, I did see an ad on the subway with him for, and it was for a mental health app. So, I, so yeah. I am curious, Byron, if you feel like, are these good alternatives for young people or for people that perhaps can't find a resource in person or can't afford it?
3: Yeah, um, I, I have used the meditation apps myself, so I definitely uh, shout out to Headspace and shout out to um, my favorite one is Balance. And I think that that actually is a great supplement to mental health work. I think it's a great supplement. Um, balance for, for sure was one of the ways in which I like helped progress me through the quarantine on top of my actual therapy. So I do think that those things are important. And I think there's something that can't you can't replace going inward right there. Meditation stuff is super powerful. Yoga and all those things is great. And there it does have to be this notion of like coming inward and exploring and processing and unpacking and teasing apart that I think therapy is a special thing to do. So for me, I think therapy is definitely needed on top of all those other things. Some of those apps I think are good. I think those apps still are good supplements, but like, sitting with someone who will consistently for a particular amount of time consistently help you process through i think is important and like a lot of the apps are like maybe texting about stuff when you need when you have an issue so they can help you with like acute stuff and so of thing but to have like a sitting appointment every week every you know maybe even a couple times a week or every you know every two weeks at the maximum i think you can't you can't you can't beat that right and i think um Again, in the meantime, between time as something adjunctive, sure. But, uh, or until you can find the therapist you're looking for, for, you know, give yourself, like, if I can't find, so let's say I want to get a therapist of color. I'm going to look for maybe six months. I'm going to use this app till I get it. And, you know, once I get it, then I can, you know, then I can focus on that. Or it's like, okay, six months have passed. I still haven't found one. Maybe it's like, I should find that good therapist who isn't a person of color, but who my friends say are really good give them a try. Like, those are of the things I recommend. But yeah, I think, um, Uh, a lot of those apps sound like they, they are helpful, but even if you look, some of those apps will say this is not therapy or it's not a replacement for therapy. It'll say like something like that. Like, and so if the app says that, that's already telling you like it's helpful and it could help you process stuff, but in it needs to be more. I will say some of those apps do like CBT work, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is very like. Very like academic-y, very structural, very like these are the skills. And so I think for stuff like that, I think it's easier to do that with an app. But if you're doing like psychodynamic stuff or if you're dealing with like trauma-based stuff, like I don't think an app could could, could supplement that. Um And I do think there is something like after you're done with your CBT for anxiety on an app, you probably should go get some real face-to-face CBT too. But uh, I do think acutely, if you're going through something, like I definitely think it can help. I think... You know, having a space just to vent, if it makes you like journal, I think all those things are super helpful. So definitely wouldn't poop with them, but I still think those need to be adjunctive and additional to good, good therapy.
1: I like the idea of supplemental. I mean, I, uh, I, uh, my therapist uh, does uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and she recommended Budify. I don't know if you're familiar with Mm. Budify, but that definitely has lots of met, like I don't know if meditations are the right word, but it's specifically supposed to sort of be helpful for people that have like different kinds of anxiety. Um, But that's not something I would have found out about with uh, had I not had the therapist to guide me there. So I like the idea of supplemental.
2: Byron, where can everyone find you? Tell us more if our um, audience wants to, you know, find just. You know work with you or anything I don't know
3: <laughs> well Sandrine you can find me out in these streets because that's where I'll be at I'll be in these streets uh, uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm usually, yeah. I, I do a lot of <laughs> I usually do a lot of cool community-based stuff so I'll definitely out and about I'll definitely try to stay in the community and, and doing talks and, and and kind of leading discussion and that kind of thing um, in terms of finding me I guess online uh, my doing it org org uh, is my website, and you could hit me up through that. Um, but you'll see some of the stuff I've done, like those videos I talked about. I did a TED Talk, so for me, it's very important not just to talk to communities, but also talk to the systems that affect communities. So that TED Talk was delivered in front of a bunch of uh, predominantly white um, uh, people in, in like clinical and hospital leadership, talking about like the importance of of humanizing healthcare and. Um, and so that, you know, that, that TikTok is there and it's pretty cool. Um, so I got stuff there on that website. Also the links to find other therapists. So the psychology today, the therapy flip back, girls all in the resources page. Um, so you can find me there. Um. What else? Uh, a lot of the things I do are like for, like, I find like a lot of captive audiences and do stuff with them. So I name some of those like tech companies and stuff. So like for their like black BRG or their Latinx BRG, I'll do stuff with them. Um, a lot of the work I do with like community, like if you, if you hit me up on my website or you can hit me up on my email address. If you have like a, a captive audience of, of folks, of young folks or whatever, and want to maybe do a cypher session or something like that, you could just hit me up and we could work something out to, to come and, and do that. I've been doing it virtually a lot for quarantine. So that's been really fun. Uh, my email address is Byron at itwell.org. Byron at doingawell.org. B Y R O N at doingawell.org. So you can hit me up there.
1: Byron, I meant to mention on air, I loved your TED Talk. So listeners, you must check it out. It's fantastic. Uh, I appreciate and, that. Yeah. And on that note, thank you so much, Byron, for joining us. Uh, and everyone should go check out everything that he does. <laughs>
3: yes. I appreciate it. Thanks for having Agreed. me. I right, had fun.
1: Care Talkers is a more banana production executive produced by me, Anita Flores, and Sandrine Tian. It's edited by Joanna Samuel and produced by Caitlin
2: Moldenhauer.
1: Thank you to the Reverend John Delore for the music. You can follow me, Anita Flores, on Instagram and Twitter at Anita Jutina. That's A-N-I-T-A-J-E-W-T-I-N-A. And you
2: can follow me, Sandrina Tan, on Instagram at Moose Guided Notions. Help us get the word out
1: by telling a friend about our show today. Make sure to rate and review Care Talkers and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts.